All right, so uh, before we get to the video, which is about a 25-minute video or so for today, I just want to do a quick refresher from last week because last week's uh, content and theme is really just tied intricately together with this week. You know, it's fruit part one, last week, fruit part two, this week. So remember that the focus and the emphasis from last week is that real change takes place in the heart, right? When we're talking about growing change and overcoming sins and struggles and weaknesses in our life, we're not just talking about uh, pure behavioral change. I used to yell, now I don't yell. I used to smoke, now I don't smoke. I used to drink, now I don't drink. You know, that's pure behavioral change. Anybody can do that. Unbelievers can do that all day long. Uh, well, maybe not all day long, but unbelievers can do that. They can change, right? Um, secular therapists who don't know the Word of God, and if they knew it, they would hate it anyway, they can help people change behaviorally. So we're not really interested in that kind of a behavioral change, just replacing one thing with another. As good as that might be, as beneficial as that might be for you know, improving relationships or just helping you feel better about yourself or whatever. What we're really aiming for as believers in Christ is sanctification, which is becoming more holy, becoming more like Christ, imitating Christ, so that we can be glorifying God. So let let me put it this way. Real change, real change is God-oriented, which means that we are seeking to glorify God. It's not just about... I just want to be different. I want to like myself better. I just want to feel better. It's not that that's necessarily wrong to to have those thoughts, but real change is saying, I want to glorify God. I I want God to be praised. I want to provide an accurate reflection to other of what God is like. Uh, It's it's God-oriented. Also, real change uh, is God-directed. It has a God-directed aim. And what I mean by that is that real change is aiming at loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So the goal is to glorify God. That's, that's what we're hoping happens as a result of the change. But what we're aiming for in our change is, is to love Him, is obviously to fulfill the great commandment, right? To, to love Him with all of who we are, soul and body. And uh, we do that in how we think, uh, how we speak, you know, how we act um, with all of who we are. So real change is God-oriented, it's God-directed. And then finally, real change is God-defined. It's God-defined, or you could say it's a God-defined pattern. And that means that real change happens as we imitate God. So if we want to ask, well, what does it look like to love God? What does it look like to... Um, to glorify God, and, and how does a person uh, put on display that they're loving God? Well, the answer is, act like Him. <laughs> uh, cultivate His character in your life, and then speak and act toward others in a way that is uh, imitating God, right? And we see that in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, as beloved children uh, become imitators of God. We see that in... Um, Ephesians 4, uh, Ephesians, sorry, Romans 8.28. I was on a cruise this week. So, <laughs> uh, I don't know what that has to do with anything. <laughs> but uh, uh, Ephesians 8.28 and 29, right, that what God is seeking to do, the good He's seeking to accomplish in our lives is to conform us 
to the image of God. Or Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that we are not to be conformed to the world, but be transformed uh, essentially into the image of Christ. So, um, in, in just various ways, Scripture talks about the fact that our change is to be imitating God, to be imitating Christ, to be reflecting and putting on display who God is, uh, both to God, that, that we show God that, God, you are so worthy, you are so wonderful, you are so excellent that I want to be just like you. You show that to God by how you live, and then you, then you put His character and His um, works and His words on display. You know, Jesus did that uh, in the book of John. We'll see it when we get to, uh, I don't remember the chapter number, that Jesus says basically, the things that I say, it's what the Father tells me to say. And in another place, he says, the things that I do, it's because the Father is showing me what to do, and that's what I do. So Jesus was, in, in essence, following the pattern that the Father gave him, and that explained his life. Well, that should be the same for us, that the explanation for why we do what we do, why we think what we think, why we say what we say, should be because we're seeking to imitate God and imitate Christ uh, in our lives. So again, when you think about change, it's not just about behavioral change. I replace one behavior with another behavior. It's a whole God-oriented, God-directed, God-defined approach to life. And that's why uh, true believers are a light to the world. Because there's such a radical difference in our lives compared to how the rest of the world lives. There might be outward manifestations that are similar, right? There's unbelieving families that um, love each other, that have, you know, uh, a family that likes to do things together. Uh, There's unbelieving individuals who um, are, you know, moral people, who are, you know, conservative in various ways, and uh, who reject some of the uh, sexual immorality of, of the world. Uh, and so there, there might be some outward similarity with people in the world. But then if you talk to those individuals and you ask them, well, why do you do what you do or why do you think the way you think? It's going to have nothing to do with God. And so if, if we think, well, what's the difference? What, what's the big deal? If, if it looks outwardly, the answer to that is what God thinks. <laughs> what does God think about your life? What does God... Uh, what is God concerned about? Is He concerned solely about your outward behavior? No, He's not. Uh, he wants your heart. He wants your mind. He wants your soul. And uh, and so God gives us that um, pattern of a whole life change. So uh, when we think about change, it's again not outward. It's it, it starts with the heart. Today's lesson really focuses on all right. If once our heart is changing, how does that begin to manifest in our life? Now, the difficulty with this kind of a, a lesson is uh, what outward change looks like entirely depends on what area you're needing to grow in. So it's uh, on the one hand, you're going to hear the phrase, you know, we don't uh, we don't um, sin in general. We sin in concrete, specific ways. And so in the same way, we don't change in general we change in concrete specific ways Uh, you're going to hear that idea in in the video well uh, it's you can provide examples and we see examples in scripture we'll uh, review some of those after the video but i want you to be thinking about as as you're listening to paul Tripp teach today 
in those areas or that area of your life that you want to grow in, not just how should you be thinking differently in terms of idols of the heart and, and desires and motivations, but what specific and concrete uh, manifestations or behaviors would be different if you were actually changed? Um, how would your life look different to others, whether to your spouse, to your kids, to your coworkers, to your family members? How would they perceive you to be different uh, if you have truly changed? So let me put that on the video, and then we'll... All right, I was writing down the things he was working through that he was saying, hey, look at this, look at this. So um, let me just walk through that. Uh, I'll walk through that in a second just to um, review and, and emphasize that. Um, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll keep talking. So what, what he's getting at with this is, you know, we, I mentioned and you heard um, Tim Lane at the very beginning as he introed the video, that principle of uh, we, we don't, change in generalities we change in specific concrete ways right and so in in the teaching what Paul Tripp was emphasizing was the the fruit that comes out of our life uh, he described it in three clusters you know much like you would have in some types of fruit I don't know grapes or whatever a cluster which has a lot of individual things and so those three clusters that he emphasized were these first of all that that we would live with personal integrity and what he means by that uh, is that we, within our own heart and mind, within our own thinking, we're honest uh, with ourselves and we're with others, right? We're not seeking to be hypocritical. Uh, we're not seeking to live kind of a two-faced life. We're not seeking to uh, put something on display to others that isn't true of us in our heart. Uh, we're we're um, not even self-deceived about you know our own goodness and righteousness. But we're just honest. And, and the beautiful thing about the gospel is that it enables us to be honest. We can acknowledge our weaknesses in sin because Christ died for us and he has forgiven us. We really can't even become a Christian. We can't become a believer. We can't put our faith in Christ without honesty about our sin. Right now, we may not at the moment of salvation have the full understanding of you know the depth of our depravity and and all the reasons that Christ had to die for us. We might have more of a general sense, you know, when we hear the gospel. Uh, but as we grow as a believer and we come to understand the reality of our own heart and how many crevices and cracks and cl dark closets of of hidden sin are in us, uh, we we can just be honest as those things are revealed to us as the holy spirit works conviction in us uh we, we can uh b both between ourselves and the lord and be and between ourselves and others as is appropriate uh, we can just say yeah th this is what's true about me this this is the sin in my life this is the weakness that's in me that christ has paid for that christ has forgiven me of and that i need to to grow to overcome so there's a there's a personal integrity of just being honest uh, with ourselves, being honest with God uh, about our sin and not needing to hide, not needing to, to pretend like, oh, Jesus, you know, he really didn't have to die for me. That well, was a little over the top. Uh, no, it wasn't over the top, <laughs> right? He really had to die for me. 
And He really had to die for you. And so, the more that we're honest about our sin, the more we magnify Christ, because that's what He died to accomplish, the forgiveness of, of our sin in its fullness. So our honesty about ourselves magnifies Christ. That glorifies Christ. Whenever we minimize, whenever we hide our sin, whenever we you know, pretend like we're something that we're not, uh, we're, we're minimizing Christ. We're, we're uh, not uh, allowing Him to receive the full glory that is due to Him because He's paid for us. So the, that second part, uh, the second sub-point there in that cluster is seeking godly help. Now, part of our honesty with ourselves and with the Lord is to acknowledge, you know, I am not self-sufficient. Uh, I don't have within myself the ability, the capacity, the wisdom, the knowledge to grow and change in every way that I need to. Sometimes that seeking godly help is simply talking to another trusted believer uh, who can pray with us and encourage us and speak truth into our life. Someone who knows us really well and can point out the things that either we're blind to or that can help affirm what we're seeing or and whatever and, and then direct us in, in, a, in a helpful way. Uh, that would be in an informal way of seeking godly help. And we all do that, right? We, we all seek godly help through our family, our friends, uh, when we acknowledge things that we're struggling with, whether it's something inside of us or the heat and circumstances of our life. Uh, sometimes we need kind of more specific, intentional uh, help where we seek someone who's um, mature and trained, uh, whether it's a pastor, an elder, a, a trained counselor and by that I don't mean a professional you know someone you have to pay to visit though it could include that but I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking of someone who uh, has the gift of uh, speaking the truth in love and bringing the word of God to bear and so that would be a more formal way of saying I, I need help I need focused intentional guidance in how to overcome my struggle. That, that's personal integrity. That's honesty with ourselves that we don't always have the ability within ourselves to grow and change. We don't always need that. And, and there's going to be seasons when, uh, when that's needed. There may, may be seasons when that's not needed. Many seasons it's not. But we have to be honest with ourselves to say, you know what, I've been struggling with this for years and I've not been able to overcome. I, I, I need some help. Uh, there's humility in that. There's honesty uh, in that. And then the third subpoint in that category of living with personal integrity is expressing godly emotions. And that's being honest with how we feel. And uh, when you think about Christ, he was honest with how he felt. You see his emotions expressed at various times in the Gospels. And perhaps the most vivid, um, well, there, there's probably two that stand out in my mind the most. One is in the garden when he just collapses under the weight of the anticipation of what he's going to experience at the cross. And then the other one that stands out in my mind is on the cross itself. When he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? He wasn't hanging up there on the cross, pretending like, oh, this is not a big deal. I know I'm going to rise from the dead anyway, so what, you know, it's all right. No. <laughs> he was feeling extraordinary physical pain, and he was bearing the wrath of God that he didn't deserve because of his own sin, but because of the sin of others was being placed on him. And so he, in, in the uh, experience of that, he cried out with anguish and sorrow. So he was honest. He expressed godly emotions, what he was actually feeling. And we see that in the Psalms. 
we, we see the psalmists in their times of sorrow, in their times of difficulty, expressing uh, their confusion, you know, asking questions of God. God, where are you? Uh, how long will it be before you pay attention to me and answer my prayer? God, it seems like you're ignoring me. It seems like you're letting the wicked win and, and they're experiencing all the blessings and I'm getting all the curses and I've done nothing but try and serve you. You know, there's all of those expressions of sorrow and anguish and pain. And so we can learn from the psalmist, uh, even as Jesus did, Jesus expressing, even on the cross, words from the psalms. So we, we can be honest with our emotions and, and not fear that um, I have to hide how I'm really feeling. Uh, I have to hide from God or I need to hide from others. Now, obviously, when we say that we're affirming godly emotions, right, we don't want to express them in a sinful way. Um, but, but there is an appropriate way that uh, emotions can be expressed uh, in, in grief and in weeping and sorrow and joy and, and all of that. So all of that is a cluster of just being honest with ourselves, with God and with others about our sin, uh, being fully uh, truthful about the reality of our sin, seeking help when needed and expressing godly emotions. So that, that's a cluster of fruit that is true of someone who is growing in Christ. And just to say it uh, again, I've already alluded to it, maybe even said it explicitly, but I just have to say it again. That is only possible when our mind is shaped by the gospel. When we know who we are in Christ because of what Christ has done for us. When we're not afraid of what people will think of us if they knew the truth about us. Because if the God of the universe, the perfect judge of all, who knows us better than we know ourselves, if He has so loved us that He has died for us while we were yet sinners, uh, that He has redeemed us though we were slaves to sin, uh, and, and He has forgiven us and cleansed us and made us His, His children, He has given us an eternal inheritance where we will dwell with, forever with Him in His presence. If that's true of us, then you know what? It doesn't matter if anybody thinks differently or wrongly about me, if, if people you know, are ashamed of me or, or whatever. I can be honest about my sin because I know I'm secure in my relationship with God. So the gospel helps us to live honestly with personal integrity. Uh, the other cluster, the second cluster of fruit that he talked about is uh, having grace-shaped relationships. That was my summary way of stating I think the phrase he used was, I will let grace shape my relationships. And, and that is to say that, you know, t- while we certainly have personal sin struggles, things that are going on in our heart and mind, secret sins that we, we may engage in, in the, in the privacy and in secrecy of our homes, there, there's also, most of our sin is relational. Most of our sin is with regard to other people. And some of that is just something that's going on in my heart and mind with regard to another person. You know, bitterness, for example, malice, anger. Uh, but then there's also the interaction, the, the ways that we speak to one another, the ways that we treat one another. And so as we're seeking to, to grow, as, as we're depending on the Spirit, the, the kind of fruit that grows is that grace shapes our relationship. And the three kind of specific things he highlighted there was, first of all, that we are ready, willing, and able to forgive. That because we have been forgiven in Christ of all of our sin, we can now forgive someone else of their sin. 
And if you've taken the reconciliation class, remember that forgiveness is four promises. I promise I won't dwell on this incident. Uh, I promise that I won't bring this up to you to use it against you. I promise that I won't talk to others about this. And I promise that I won't let this stand between us. Forgiveness removes the barrier of the sin that has come between us and it enables us to then engage with this person in a way that reflects the kind of forgiveness and love that that God has extended to us. Sure. Uh, Forgiveness is four promises. First of all, that I will not dwell on this incident. That I will not bring this up to you to use it against you. That I will not talk to others about this. And that uh, I will not let this stand between us. Now there's nuance to that. Uh, You can go to Sermon Audio. There's a whole session on forgiveness where I walk through those four promises and the nuances to those things. Because even when you think about not talking to others, sometimes if we need help to grow uh, and we're going to talk to a a mentor or a, a counselor, uh, we we need to talk to someone about the situation, but it's not for the purpose of gossiping, it's for the purpose of seeking help. So that would just be one nuance that uh, that would be allowed in, in forgiveness. The second aspect of fruit in, in this regard is that I will seek forgiveness. I will humbly ask for forgiveness. That I will be acknowledging my sin and I will ask you for your forgiveness of me. Uh, because I want to acknowledge my contribution to the breakdown in our relationship or the, the way in which this situation uh, occurred. Uh, I want to be honest about my sin and I want to seek your forgiveness. Um, I'm not just going to forgive you of your sin and you know, let you take uh, all, the, all the blame. Uh, if, if and since it's usually true that uh, it takes two to tango and uh, I've likely sinned and I want to ask forgiveness for that. And then the third aspect of fruit there is that I will respond to the sins and weaknesses of others with grace. I will respond to the sins and weaknesses of others with grace. And this is just acknowledging the reality that we are all sinners. And we all have weaknesses. We all have immaturity. We all have idiosyncrasies. And we need to extend grace to one another, not be so easily offended by one another. Uh, Now, that doesn't mean that you, you know, uh, ignore sin. I mean, where sin it breaks a relationship, you know, that needs to be dealt with, that needs to be confronted and forgiven and all of that. But sometimes love covers a multitude of sins, right? Sometimes we, over, we do overlook things because we just want to extend grace and acknowledge that, hey, this is a weakness that they have. It's not something that's going to harm our relationship, at least not this instance of it. So I can, I can just let that go. I can just extend love and kindness and grace in that moment. And so we extend grace to one another. And then the third cluster is that God's grace gives purpose and direction to my words and actions. God's grace gives purpose and direction to my words and actions. So again, this kind of extends the grace-shaped relationship, but in, in this particular cluster, we have things like the fact that grace enables us as God's children to pursue peace with others. That we don't have to live broken, embittered lives. We can actually pursue and make peace with others. Uh, we can speak the truth to one another. Because 
uh, of the work of, of grace in our lives. That we don't have to speak destructive, uh, tearing down words, but we can speak the truth in love to build one another up. Uh, we can serve others. That instead of seeking to be served or instead of isolating ourselves from others, we can live a life of service to others by God's grace. I didn't write it on the board, but he did have grant forgiveness on this. I didn't write it on the board because that's kind of part of the second cluster. And then he emphasized in the video learning to say no. That living a grace-filled life, uh, having God-honoring relationships, doesn't mean that we just have to say yes to everything and everyone. That sometimes we have to uh, recognize that you know we, we can't do everything, and so sometimes we have to say no when, when it's not wise, when it's not appropriate, um, when we have priorities that we need to maintain, that grace enables us to say no and not be fearful uh, of how someone might respond if, if we do say no. Um, and then finally, recognizing, developing, and using spiritual gifts. That as I understand who I am in Christ, that means that I have been gifted by the Holy Spirit with spiritual gifts, which He has given me to, to use for the benefit of the body of Christ. And so I need to be purposeful in serving with those spiritual gifts so that I'm a good steward, right? We had a great sermon on that last week with the parable of the talents, uh, where God has given each one of us gifts, and He desires for us to use that for His kingdom purposes uh, and for the benefit of others. And so grace enables me to have a mindset where, uh, again, I don't isolate myself from others. I don't think less of me because I don't have the gifts that somebody else have. But no, I have whatever gifts God has given me, and I want to use that and be faithful uh, with that uh, in, in relationship to others. Now, if you just think about uh, those fruits, if you will, um, having honesty, living with personal integrity, uh, having grace-shaped relationships where there's forgiveness that goes both directions. There's grace with regard to the weaknesses and sins of others. Uh, there's speaking the truth, serving others, using spiritual gifts. Uh, all of those things are time-consuming. All of those things require intentional effort. Uh, because whether you live in a home with a family or you live by yourself, whether you work outside the home or you don't work outside the home, uh, we all are surrounded by sinners. And so we all have opportunities in various degrees, in various amounts, to extend grace, to extend forgiveness, to pursue and speak the truth in love, to pursue peace, I should say, and speak the truth in love, uh, to serve and use our spiritual gifts. The, the greatest challenge to living a, a grace-filled life, to, to bearing all of this kind of fruit, is, is simply this, that we often live for ourselves. We often live for our own kingdom. I do this, you do this. Uh, we just think about what I want to do, what my plans are, and we tend to just crowd out everybody else, and we just focus in, uh, or maybe it's just me, I don't know. But... But we're, we're so intent on what I have to do today and how you know, I want to spend my money and what I want to do that we just, we're just thinking about ourselves and we're not thinking about anybody else. So what do we have to do? We have to follow the command of Christ to die to ourselves. To pick up our cross daily and follow Christ. Because what Christ did is He 
died to himself. Right? He humbly came down, left the glories of heaven, became like a slave, and he lived his life in service to others. And he ultimately gave his life for the salvation of others. So if we're going to profess to be a Christian, if we're going to profess to be a believer in Christ, what that means is we have to do the very same thing. We have to lay down our lives for the sake of Christ and for the benefit of others. Uh, we have to die to our own desires when things interrupt us, our plans, our, our goals, our dreams. We say, all right, Lord, it's not about me. It's about you. How can I uh, live you know, a life that's glorifying to you? How, how can I love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? And how can I imitate you by dying to myself and, and living for others? I don't know what all the struggles that you know, you've thought through and are seeking to grow in, in your life. You know, there's probably a, a huge variety in a, in a room this size of the kinds of things that you're seeking to overcome. Um, but as you think about your personal struggle, uh, consider you know, these kinds of clusters and what would it look like if you were bearing this kind of fruit? How would your struggle look different? Um, what, how would your time be spent different? How would your words uh, be different? Uh, how, would, uh, how would your interactions with others be different? if you're seeking to bear this kind of fruit. last thing I'll end with for today is uh, just a reminder that, again, we don't change in general, we change in specific. And we see that in Ephesians chapter 4. I'm not going to turn there and take the time. But just a reminder, because we talked about this back in, I don't know, week 2 or 3, how Paul talks about that process of change. Remember those wonderful three engines of the rocket <laughs> that drive change? Uh, the What are they? I was about to tell you, put off, renew our minds, and put on. Very good. At least one person here. <laughs> um, put off, renew the mind, put on. And Paul gives us examples then of what that looks like. If your problem, if your struggle is lying, that you, you know the truth, but you have a habit of, of saying what you know is not true, uh, you need to stop that, and you need to renew your mind to recognize the impact of lying and you need to now become a truth speaker. So if, if your struggle that you're seeking to overcome is lying, what would it look like for you in the moments in which you're tempted to lie to speak the truth? Uh, then he talks about anger. Uh, be angry, but don't sin in your anger. Don't let the sun go down uh, on your anger. So what would it look like for you to... Um, whatever anger you feel that rises up within you to make sure that it's oriented around God's desires. We, we feel anger when our desires are, are being um, contradicted, where they're being uh, prevented from being accomplished. What would it look like to replace my desires with God's desires and then to express myself in a godly way uh, rather than in a sinful, angry way? And he talks about uh, speech or, or stealing, right? Um, if, if your problem is you just have a habit of taking things that don't, don't belong to you, you don't respect the property of others, he says, stop that and now start becoming a generous person. Learn to give, learn to be generous with others. 
Uh, he talks about speech. You know, if your struggle is, man, I just I don't speak with kindness to my spouse or my kids or my coworkers or whoever. I need to overcome that. Well, you don't just close your mouth. You start. To, what kinds of words can I say that would be edifying and encouraging, comforting and, and helpful? You know, what are those situations that I find myself saying things that are destructive and how can I anticipate those very same situations and say something that's honoring to the Lord and that's grace-filled? He talks about putting off anger, malice, slander, clamor, you know, instead being kind and forgiving and, and tender-hearted. Uh, so, again, all of those are specific replacements. So as you think about your struggle, what? don't just think about, I need to stop that. What would it look like to exemplify Christ-likeness in those very situations, all right? All right, well, uh, I'm over the time that I wanted to be, but um, again, please take those sheets. If, if you came in late uh, the, at the sign-in sheets, uh, please sign in if you haven't yet, um, but uh, there's sheets there just to give you something to reflect on, and then next week we'll have a shorter video, and uh, I'm hoping that some of you will be wanting uh, and willing to share about how the Lord has uh, helped you to grow. It could be just things He's taught you, things that He has uh, renewed your mind about. It could be specific uh, ways in which you, you've grown in terms of uh, the area that you've identified. And if you're able, if you can anticipate that you're wanting to share something, please let me know. Um, and if you don't let me know and you know, you all of a sudden have the burning desire to share something next week, that's great too. Uh, I'm sure we'll have time for as many people as want to share. But uh, let's look forward to that. And then just as a reminder, so next week is the last week of the quarter, and then we'll start the new quarter. So the next class, I don't remember if I had mentioned this, is kind of the, the next level of this kind of curriculum. This was how people change. The next class I'm going to teach is how to help people change. So it's not, it's not here's the material, for, apply it to yourself. Now let's talk about how to apply it to others. It's, it's, it's a little bit more than that, but uh, I would encourage you to uh, consider that class. There's going to be the other options, revelation, theology, uh, a marriage class. Some of you might need to take that marriage class. I would encourage you to do it. Uh, but um, uh, the, the next class that I'll, I'll be teaching starting in a couple weeks is how to help people change uh, based on Paul Tripp's book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. All right, let me pray.